Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So why are you here this morning? Sounds like an open-ended question, but I actually already know the answer why you're here this morning. You're here this morning to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. That's why you're here. Now, some of you might be like, eh, I'm not sure that's why I'm here this morning. Uh, I'm here because my parents dragged me here this morning. Or I'm here out of a sense of, of obligation. I feel like I should be here, so that's why I'm here. I'm, I'm here to model faith for my kids. That's really why I'm here today. Maybe you have no idea why you're here this morning. Well, technically, you are here to celebrate the resurrection. The very fact that you came on a Sunday morning makes this a resurrection celebration. A little bit of history here. The day of worship for Jews to this day is still Friday sundown to Saturday sundown. Saturday is their synagogue day. It was that way in the first century in the time of Jesus as well. It was a way of honoring the seventh day of creation as a day of rest and worship. But when Jesus rose from the dead to new life on a Sunday morning, those Jews who who followed Jesus, the earliest Christians, changed their day of worship from Saturday to Sunday. That's why you are here today. We don't just celebrate the resurrection on Easter Sunday. We celebrate it every Sunday. So by definition, this is a resurrection community. We're gathered, we're a community that's gathered here around the resurrection, and it's designed to be a network of relationships that are informed and motivated by the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. That's why we gather on Sundays. And that's supposed to serve as the basis of our relationships here. Pastor Simon and his friend Paulo spoke about those resurrection friendships which he just talked about, how the presence of Jesus in their friendship strengthens their bonds. And it's not just a common belief in Jesus that makes it deep and meaningful. It's actually the power of the resurrection. Simon talked about three unique hallmarks of resurrection friendships that are worth putting up on the screen again. They are resurrection friendships are mutually encouraging. They are accountable to one another and to God. And they are centered around a shared mission. So if we took these three hallmarks and we sort of expanded them out from two of those spiral graphs to many of them, they are the hallmarks of a community when we're functioning in light of the resurrection as well. That as we gather to celebrate the resurrection, this community ought to become, when we're doing our best, ought to become a place of encouragement and accountability and shared mission. Now, we're talking about the church today. I recognize that Many of you, this is your home church. We have some guests from out of town, so you can apply this to your home church, or maybe you're, in, you're thinking about one or you're in search of one. Apply it to your context. So this idea of community in the church, it sounds nice and all right, but I, I think it's fair to ask why we're actually here, because you actually have a lot of choices when it comes to community. Maybe the most choices in human history in terms of communities that you can be involved in. I mean, a generation and a half ago, the church was the center of society often physically in the middle of town. It was in the town square, in the middle. And if I were to diagram it, it would look like this. The church is in the center of society, and there are many other communities that you could be a part of, but they were sort of ancillary. They were secondary. The church was, uh, was the largest and most prominent. There has been a fundamental shift in American culture 
from this model to where we are today. And I feel like I've lived it in, in my life. I know many of you feel the same way. When I grew up, church was just a given. We went to church every Sunday. I never even thought about asking my parents if we could skip a Sunday. It was really central. It was that central community for our family. Sports got pushed to the margins. I wasn't even allowed to try out for traveling teams that had games or tournaments on, on Sunday. And here's the weird thing. I didn't even get mad or think that that was a weird thing that my parents would do that. I just said, well, that's a church day. I guess they're right. School friends were good and fine, but, but church friends were really highly encouraged in our home. The diagram looks a little different now. <laughs> The church has lost its place of, of primacy, at least in my lifetime, uh, occasionally because of the church's own failings that have caused mistrust in that institution, for sure, but I think mostly because we're in a, a post-Christian society. That's a, that's a term that church sociologists and sociologists used to talk about. We're in, a, we're in an era where the church isn't as central. It's just a community, one community among many. And when the church is functioning in a society like this, it's really easy for us to get sidetracked from our initial calling. The church has become one, just one community among many options that we have. And to be frank, when we treat our church like that, we neuter it of its resurrection power. And I think we're called to much more. So what is the church? What is that, what is that calling? Well, I think from the beginning of Jesus' ministry until now, the calling is actually the same on the people of God. In our text today, Jesus is calling out to the disciples with two simple words. Did you pick up on those words? What are they? Follow me. Two simple words. That's the initial call. And I think that call to follow Jesus was the motivating factor for the early church to gather together on Sunday mornings. And it's really the reason that we're here right now. We're gathered to celebrate the risen Christ and to allow the resurrection power of Jesus to help us follow Jesus with our whole lives. And if we're going to be a resurrection community full of resurrection relationships, if that sounds appealing to us, it's good for us to look at what we can learn from those earliest disciples when that initial call, follow me, came. Three things that I notice as I look at this initial community of the disciples. First of all, it's Jesus who brought the disciples together. When we look over this ragtag group of, of disciples, it, it's not hard to recognize that it was Jesus who brought them together. I mean, how else would that group ever come together? They weren't friends prior to Jesus. In fact, it's worth noting that they were probably, actually, certainly severe conflicts within this group. We learn that there was a tax collector. His name was Matthew. He was part of the disciples, but... There was also a man named Simon who was a zealot, a Canaanian. Do you know what, what a zealot's job was in first century Israel? It was someone whose job it was to create chaos over unjust taxation. They would literally, uh, they were anarchists. They would literally burn tax booths or, or murder or maim tax collectors to resist Roman imperialism. And now a zealot is sitting next to a tax collector. Imagine that. Do you think those were some lively conversations? There were certainly remarkable differences, but there was something that bound that, that group together. And what was it? It was the call to follow Jesus. They heard this call and they were so compelled that they left behind their own stuff, their businesses, their possessions, even their father. They left, be, they left him behind in the boat to go and to follow. And in the same way, Jesus shows up at the tax booth with Matthew and says those same words, follow me. And Matthew leaves all of that behind to follow Jesus. 
That's the common bond. That's what brings this ragtag group of disciples together. And I think we could probably say the same thing about us here today. I mean, I'm always amazed on Sunday morning, if it wasn't for Jesus, what are the odds that this collection of people would all be together in the same space, right? We're a bit of a ragtag group. We can admit that, right? We've, we've, we have people here who have widely divergent political, theological, and ideological stances. In fact, we might be at each other's throats on any number of issues, but that's not what brings us together, is it? It's Jesus who brings us together. And more specifically, the call that echoes and reverberates off the walls of our heart, follow me, follow Jesus. That's what brings us together. Second thing I see as I look at this group of disciples is the disciples reflect their leader better in community than they could on their own. We uh, gathered together, Katie and I, with our rooted group this last Sunday, and, and I asked the question of our, of our rooted group, so, so why do we go to church on Sunday? This is not a loaded question. Why do we go? I mean, there are any number of Christian books that you could read, sermons that you could listen to online. Heck, there are even some fully online churches now. Why not just create and curate your own sort of inspiration for the morning and stay in your sweatpants? I mean, why do we come to church? And someone in the group said, well, you would miss out on the energy in the room. I think that's true. Somebody said, this is where my friendships are found, and I can't imagine doing that from a distance. And then one, one of our one of our uh, group members said, well, I could work out on my own at the gym, Right? but the results are going to be much better if I sign up for a group class. And I thought, wow, maybe he should preach on Sunday because that is pretty good, right? Because what does a group class do at a gym? It encourages us and it pushes us forward. It holds us accountable. It doesn't let us slide. And it gives us a sense of community and shared mission. We're working for the same thing. And when we're at our best as the local church, we're doing the same thing. We're encouraging one another. We're, we're pushing each other deeper into relationship with Jesus. This gathering should be like, a, like us shouting at one another, hey, follow Jesus. No, you follow Jesus, right? We're holding each other accountable to a standard of, of living that's consistent with our Christian witness. And we're joining together in shared mission for the world. That's the kind of community that we're striving for. And, and I'm painfully aware of, of my own inability to adequately follow Jesus without you. I need you, and you need the person that's sitting behind you and beside you and in front of you and across the room for you. You might not know that. You might not even feel it. You might go, I don't even know the person sitting in front of me. You actually need that person. There's a reason that Jesus called 12 disciples together and welcomed many, many more. It's because we're made for community and we reflect Jesus better in community. None of us were made for a privatized faith. We were made to encourage one another saying, follow Jesus, keep it up, come on, keep going. And we're made to hold each other accountable to a life of honoring Jesus. We're made to be together in common mission. Third thing I see when I, when I look at this group of disciples is that they're being prepared. They're being prepared for something remarkable. This is, this is where we get that common mission where that's really evident. Jesus spends three years with these disciples, not merely to form them or to educate them. He spends time with them so that they can go out and change the world. Jesus had a very specific purpose for his disciples. The community was not about, hey, this is just a place to come and feel good or, or to have good conversation or to better yourself or, or simply just a place where I don't have to feel alone. It was a training ground for what was coming. They were given authority and, and calling and purpose. And, and after Jesus ascends to heaven, which we're going to celebrate this week, 
It's mere days afterwards that these disciples are standing in front of thousands of people at this Pentecost festival, and they're proclaiming the good news, and they're watching thousands of other people hear what? The call, follow me, follow Jesus. So without this community, this community that the disciples model for us, we can't be adequately prepared for what God is calling us to do in our lives. We need one another, and I believe God is in the process of preparing each and every one of us and together preparing us for something significant. So there it is. That's the, that's the community that Jesus formed around himself, one that he brought together, one that reflects him together, one that's being prepared for things by him. And this is, this is the model for us today. But some of you might still have that question, but yeah, so that's all good, but why can't it just be one community among a bunch of other communities? What's so wrong with that? Maybe it sounds like the pastor is making a self-serving pitch for something that he happens to be highly invested in, right? But here's the thing. You are going to choose a community each and every day, and and I think for good reason that the church has something to offer that no other community can can offer. Uh, I experience community outside of this place. I'm not saying that this is my only community. I, I experience lots of community outside of church, Katie and I went to a concert Friday night. We are definitely uh, not too old to be going to concerts, if you were thinking about that. Um, but it, 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 was, it was a community that was gathered around music, right? And we had a common interest. We knew these songs. We had a reason for gathering. It was, it was great. It was really fun. It was awesome people watching. Um, but, but as fun as it was, it was not a lasting community or a deep community. I'm never going to be gathered with those people again. And that band is going to go to St. Louis or Indianapolis the next night. This is not a, a deep and lasting community. And I think I could say the same thing about the PTO or the golf club or the bowling league or the running club. All of those are great places. I'm not asking you to drop those communities. But I'm asking you to consider how this community or your local church, if you're a visitor with us, how this community, as we encourage one another to follow Jesus, might bring depth to all the other communities that you're a part of. What if we saw this, the local church, as the primary community? Not that it eclipses the other communities, but that it informs and feeds them with depth and purpose and meaning and mission. I think we all choose a primary community, one that is most important and meaningful to us. Well, what would it look like to make your local church your primary community? Let me offer just three things in in closing here of of what it would mean for you to commit to this place or your local church as your primary community. First thing, and you should know this, you're going to need to leave some stuff behind. When the disciples were called, they had to leave all and follow Jesus to enter into this community. We're not asking you to leave all to come and do that. But they made that community around Jesus their primary community. James and John left the fish behind. Matthew left the tax collector booth. Simon left the life of a zealot. This was a new community. And what this might mean for you is that this is a place where you're going to have to shed some of your old identities, your identities that were not informed by Jesus Christ. We have to leave behind sinful, closed-minded, defensive, or overly comfortable ways of being and truly enter in trusting the one in whom we're following. Second thing you should know, if you want to make this your primary community, is that you're going to actually need to trust somebody else. Ooh, that's tough, right? 
Again, if God had wanted his disciples to live out his purposes in isolation, he would have trained them individually. But Jesus trains and disciples and teaches in community because that's how God designed us to reflect him to the world. So guess what? If this is going to be your primary community, a resurrection community for you, you're going to need to trust somebody else. And I mean really trust somebody else. You're going to have to trust them in order to work together with them. But, but I think even more importantly, you're going to need to trust these people with your hearts and with your story and with your pain and with your honesty. When's the last time that you really truly trusted a fellow Christian with your raw story? When's the last time that you put yourself out there and said, I need to tell you my biggest struggle. Uh, I need help. My marriage is crumbling. We're in financial trouble. My kids are a mess. I'm in pain and I don't know what to do. You're going to have to trust somebody else. We can't afford to be suspicious or to hold our lives too close to the vest because following Jesus demands a community that is real. So you need to affirm right now in your heart of hearts that you can't do this life alone that you need one another, and you need to trust God and his people. And the third thing is you got to commit to shared mission. When you leave your stuff behind and you choose to trust these people, God is going to open doors for you to embody this compelling community to the world that he's given you. And you might well be surprised at the doors that he opens to you. The worship and fellowship and the people around you are going to remind you of that call to follow Jesus. And this call might require you to do some tough things, might require you to step out in mission, to open up your home maybe. It will eventually require you to, to bring the hope of Jesus into all those other communities in your life and those relationships that you have outside of these walls. It will certainly require time and resources. It will most likely require you to rearrange your life in some way, but it will also offer you something that you couldn't create on your own. So when you come to church, you should expect to be prepared to be on mission, and you should be looking for ways to encourage and celebrate others who are doing the same. I want to share just a, a simple example of this as we put this all together in our community. I'm not sure how aware you all are of the work of God uh, in our church in recent years. Through this community, several people have felt called to uh, adoption. We're one of those families, but recently several families have been felt to I um, felt the call to, to jump into Safe Families, which is a program that offers respite care for foster families and mothers who are unable to take care of their children. We have a little one here today uh, who's a Safe Families kid. And just last week, Austin and Katrina Corbett, some of you know them, announced that they're feeling led by God to become foster parents. <clears throat> um, they're not here today, but I was so moved by their announcement, and uh, they didn't check on what I was preaching on this week. But listen to what they said after they announced this exciting news. <clears throat> I'm not crying. I actually have something in my throat, but I might cry. Yeah. <clears throat> they said, we invite you to join us in this journey. Walk alongside us. Be our support. Pray for us and with us. Share in the grief and the hope of reconciliation. How beautiful is that? That moved my heart because that's the church. That's what we're here for. It's obedience to the call to follow Jesus. It's leaving things behind and trusting other people. And it's inviting other people into a common mission. That's real community, folks. That's real community. And that's what God created us for. And Jesus patterned this for us. 
he patterned for us our need for one another. And we desperately need to function as this kind of community, not only for us or even, thank you, or even primarily for us. That's a good friend right there. That's a resurrection relationship right there. But he designed us as a community where we find a place to belong and find companionship and live into that significance. So where do you start? You start right here. You start at your local church. I think the local church is God's hope for the world. God brought you here, and in all the places of the world, among all the people of the world, he has brought us together. I don't know how long God has me on this earth or or in the U.S. or in Hinsdale or at this church, but I'm going to seize this time as a gift. Every opportunity to be in the same room with each and every one of you is a precious gift through which God is going to work out his purposes. So start by going deeper here. Make this your primary community. Choose to trust these people and get ready for your current life to be changed in beautiful ways. And like the disciples, it's okay to admit that we're not the A-listers. We're broken. We need help. We need Jesus. It's him who binds us together. It's him who equips us. It's him who strengthens us. Him who renames us, who gives us purpose. So let's strive to encourage one another to follow Jesus, to hold each other accountable in our following and in our shared mission together. These are the hallmarks of a resurrection community that offers us something that no other community can offer us. We are a resurrection people. And our very presence together on this day, the first day of the week, affirms it. Now let's live like it so that we might follow Jesus and call the world to do the same.